welcome to today's LinkedIn Live audio event. Today, we are talking about digital real estate, how it benefits entrepreneurs and business owners. My name is Rob Hanna. I'm the founder of KC Partners. We're a legal talent solutions and content creation firm. I've been in the recruitment and career space for over a decade. Um, I've been featured in numerous global publications for leadership and community building. I'm also a strategic advisor and investor to recruitment and legal tech startups. And I'm the regular host of the Legally Speaking podcast, which two of my guests today, Mitch Jackson and the wonderful Francesca, have both featured on the show. I'm proud to say we're in the top one and a half percent of podcasts globally. We're sponsored by Clio and we remove the bore from law and turn that into educational and entertaining content around all things legal careers. And this year, I recently co-founded with my dear friend on the stage today, Caleb, Virtual Insanity, which is a community where we're aiming to bridge the gap between the mainstream and the metaverse, providing digestible content around the world of decentralized social media, NFTs, and Webs3. But aside from all of that, I always say I'm a proud first-time father to my daughter, Amelia, and porrent to my miniature dash hound dog, Otto, both whom feature on my LinkedIn content from time to time, because I'm a big believer in showing my community the human side of myself, too. Um, that all said, for those of you who know me, I love to collaborate with right and like-minded individuals and today I've put together an incredible panel of experts when it comes to discussing all things digital real estate and how it benefits entrepreneurs and business owners. So firstly I would like to welcome my dear friend Mitch Jackson. Mitch is an award-winning California litigation lawyer. He's a top entrepreneur, investor, brand ambassador, speaker. He's spoken several times at Tony Robbins Business Mastery events. He's an author and he enjoys helping and adding value to consumers and clients who are doing the digital dance, in his own words, with the intersection of law, business, technology, the metaverse, and, and Web3. And he's also written the book, The Metaverse Handbook, which he'll be telling you a little bit more about later on. But Mitch is a, an absolute superstar. So we're going to look forward to hearing from him. We're also joined by the wonderful Francesca, a dear friend of mine as well. She is a top, top trademark and copyright lawyer, also known as the Decentral Lawyer. Francesca has counseled top businesses, celebrities, artists, athletes, influencers, you name it, Prada, Versace, and many, many more. And she shares her expertise across her Decentral Lawyer social media handles, where she provides aspects of advice around trademark, brand protection, all relating to Web3 and NFTs, and just a rock star in this space. And we're super delighted to have you with us today. We're also joined by my dear co-founder of Virtual Insanity, Caleb, who is also an entrepreneur, NFT enthusiast, Web3 community builder, and all-round rock star as well. And just joined the stage in his first ever LinkedIn audio event, just bang on time, is Rock. So Rock is a high-performing media and technology lawyer. He's got the entrepreneurial flair and passion for breakdancing. You can check it out on his profile. And he's also a TMT and sits in the TMT and IP team at one of the world's leading law firms, Liquidators in London. And he's undertaken secondments with major brands such as Amazon Web Services and ITV. And he advises companies when it comes to a range of projects in emerging technology. He has a passion for AI, all things cloud computing and virtual reality, software, IT solutions, content distribution, licensing projects, digital media, and lots, lots more. And his passion for technology stems from his previous entrepreneurial experiences working on the on with online startups before he ventured into the legal world. So can we just get some heart emojis for this amazing panel we've put together today, this evening, to discuss uh, today's topic? Because it's, uh, it's an incredible array of talent we have on stage, and it's a real honor to share the stage with them all. So the format for today, we are going to be running for one hour. I'm going to be asking our amazing panel some questions related to the topic. But of course, with all of my spaces, they are inclusive. So we'd love for you to raise your hands, come up to stage, ask your questions to the panel. Maybe you don't really know what digital real estate is. Maybe you want to learn more how to protect your digital real estate. Maybe you're unsure how to incorporate this into your existing business or new business. So as I always say, use this time to upskill yourself by learning by some of the greats here on LinkedIn related to this topic. So thank you so much once again, everyone in the audience and to the speakers for being here. Just to notify you, this room is being recorded. So if you would like to come up onto the stage, please be mindful that we are recording this particular room. And first off, just give me a thumbs up if you currently own digital real estate. Who in the audience owns digital real estate? Give us a thumbs up in the audience if you own digital real estate currently. Okay, that might be a trick question. Give me a heart sign if you're looking to invest in digital real estate. 
Okay, so we've got a few people that are looking to invest. And then give me a clap if you're excited to learn about all things digital real estate today. So let's see that clap emoji if you're excited to learn more. Okay, good. So lots of clapping. Let's get into today's discussion then. So I'm going to come first to my dear friend, Mitch Jackson. Let's start with the basics, Mitch. What is digital real estate? And can you give us some examples of it? And perhaps some things people may not have originally thought of when it comes to digital real estate. You have the mic, my friend. Rob, it's good to be here today. Hello, everybody. I, I got to follow up with your enthusiasm. Thanks for putting together today's room. Digital real estate is all about building out that virtual brand. In this case, the way I'm thinking about it, for your company, for your practice, for your services, someplace where you can connect with customers and clients in a virtual world, whether that virtual world is accessible from a phone, a laptop, a tablet, or a desktop, or even better, 95% better experience through a headset like an Oculus Quest 2. Rob, when you look at uh, companies like the New York Stock Exchange, right? rolling out a patent uh, and uh, IP application to provide online marketplace for non-fungible tokens, such as digital media and artwork. JP Morgan announcing they're opening a lounge in the metaverse to meet with clients and that we're looking at a $1 trillion market. That's what digital real estate is. It is large companies like the New York Stock Exchange and JP Morgan. It's small businesses like what we're running here in Southern California with our law firm, offering a new digital welcome mat. In this case, whether we purchase real estate, whether we lease, rent, or take advantage of turnkey template, digital real estate options on the platforms we'll be talking about, that's what it is. That's what we need to know about. And hopefully today we'll dive deep on some of the nuances that I'm guessing a lot of consumers haven't really thought about in this space. Uh, all the above, it's good to be on stage. I'm looking forward to active Q&A. Absolutely. And thanks ever so much for being here. And definitely everyone make sure you're checking out Mitch's profile, not only here on LinkedIn, but across all the other social media uh, platforms. He has a huge following over on Twitter. He's active on Instagram and he's very big in terms of producing high value content related to the world of Web3 and the metaverse. So definitely make sure you check out Mitch and give him a follow. So I would like to come to next my, my dear friend, Francesca. Hope you're doing well. Um, Francesca is just an all round rock star and someone I look up to tremendously and an expert in all things IP. So Francesca, my question to, to you is you do a tremendous amount of work helping entrepreneurs, business owners protect their brands online and assets. So what should people be thinking about when it comes to protecting their digital real estate that they may not necessarily initially think of? I think that a critical thing, and you know, before, before I even answer the question, um, I do want to caveat that I really am an intellectual property lawyer specializing with trademarks and copyrights. So that is really my perspective on what's the most important assets, but there are clearly a ton of other things that are going to be beyond the scope um, and other issues. But from my perspective, I will definitely talk about what I see being the most important as someone who's advised any, any size business from being startups, creatives to global companies and fortune 500 companies. So really, um, I tell clients, think about how you would protect your business in the physical world. What would you do? You know, most companies, they have a brand name. So that's really the first step is whatever name or you're operating under or business that you operate under. That's really the first step. So have you run a proper trademark clearance search? Have you gotten an opinion from a lawyer um, making sure that your name is available and that you're not stepping on any others, anyone else's toes? Because just because this is a new environment doesn't mean that, that there are all new rules. Really, the same intellectual property laws are applying in the metaverse. It's the same thing with the online marketplaces and um, being on Amazon, being on Instagram, just being online, right? Same concerns. So I think that's where people get tripped up. So with that, if you are in the metaverse and you are a brand, really look to make sure that your name is not infringing anyone else's and then file to protect that name. So I would say tr trademark protection is the first point. The second is uh, an amazing tool known as copyright. So you will have copyrights in certain original creative works. 
and you may want to actually file to protect some of your copyrights. Copyright is a cool tool because it could, it could be your avatar, it could be your artwork, it could be potentially the layout in your metaverse building. Because if you think about it from uh, in the physical world, some retail stores have really cool and unique stores that they're known for. And with that, those designs in the physical store can actually be protected by something called trade dress. So I would argue as you know, a creative intellectual property lawyer that maybe we're gonna see some of that, some people actually being able to protect their, their, um, their actual stores and, and buildings in the metaverse, whether that's through trademark or copyright. And then the third piece is the contracts. So making sure that you have the right contracts in place, this works both ways. Um, let's say that you are gonna build a business in the metaverse. Just by accessing the platform and buying some, some land, there's going to be terms of service that you will have to abide by. There's gonna be terms and conditions. So it's really critical that you make sure what those are. Um, and that is like the most high level uh, teaser, if you will, of what I see are the most important IP issues. And that's making sure you're not infringing anyone's trademark and protecting your trademark with a registration, um, thinking about how to protect your artwork, original works, and maybe your avatars and things and NFTs linked to the metaverse with copyright. And then the third piece is, is the contract piece, which could which will span way more than terms of service. Um, but think anytime you are hiring someone or they're hiring you or there's a transaction, contracts will apply. Rob, can I jump in real quick? Of course, Mitch. Just real quick, because I, I know you want to get through the panel and that sounds fantastic. Francesca's a dear friend, everyone. One of my go-to uh, IP lawyers that uh, actually... My son and I, Garrett Jackson, is down in the audience, everyone. Definitely click on his profile picture and follow him. Uh, we're rolling out a new company. It's uh, Maneuver. It's uh, M-A-N-E-U-V-R. It's an agency helping companies move into and transition to the metaverse and uh, using VR. And we're going to be tapping into Francesca's expertise, hopefully Rob, too, uh, moving forward. But she, Francesca's kept using the term you. And I think it's critically important that we look at using legal entities when doing everything we talk about. So, so I want everyone to think about when you hear the word you, when you build out a brand, when you are protecting your IP, when you are building out land in the metaverse, I'm recommending that uh, our clients really look at using, depending on where they're located, depending on the type of industry and profession that they're involved with, state and federal laws, think about doing so as a proper corporate entity, maybe a limited liability company. So when you're applying for IP, it may be your company that's actually applying for IP. And we'll dive a bit deeper into this uh, later on in the show. But by doing so, you're creating uh, different business opportunities, different tax write-offs, different uh, protective qualities, separating business liabilities and your personal assets. And there are a lot of benefits to doing business as a legal entity. So when buying real estate and leasing real estate and the digital platforms, doing the things that Francesca's talked about, and I'm sure what Rob and Caleb and Rock will be talking about, Think about doing that through a corporate business entity or multiple entities for many, many, many business tax and legal protective reasons. So I wanted to get that out to you. When you hear the word you, think about maybe what you should be thinking about is you as a legal entity, as an officer or director, moving forward with the transition of digital property. So thanks, Rob, for letting me jump back in. My absolute pleasure, Mitch. And I just want to shout Mitch and, and everyone on stage. I mean, Mitch and Francesca are people I've known through the social audio streets for two years now, and some of the most entrepreneurial, legally minded people you'll ever meet. So please do make sure you check out their profiles. And definitely, Jarrett, great to meet you. Your dad is awesome. He rocks. I'm super excited about your uh, your business venture. I think it's got huge potential and very needed right now. And just want to remind everyone, if anyone has a question and would like to come up onto stage, we want to make this an inclusive space 
space. Maybe you want to ask something related to digital real estate. We're here to serve the communicate, uh, community. So feel free at any point to raise your hands, come up. Uh, we're happy to hear from you. And I've got lots of questions for the panel too. I also just want to say hi to my good friend, Danita. She's a LinkedIn powerhouse. Thanks so much for popping by. I could see Felipe, good to see you and so many other new and familiar faces. And also Anna, who's one of our Legally Speaking podcast ambassadors. Thank you for all the work you're doing for us too. So thanks ever so much. So I want to jump to Rock for a quick question because Rock, you're an expert and certainly have a key interest in all things AI. So we know the sort of, I guess, evolving regulatory landscape of AI and big data is sort of your interest. You've obviously been involved in a number of sort of clients and future implications when it comes to the European Commission's AI-related initiatives. You've written several industry-leading publications when it comes to, you know, the journal of robotics, artificial intelligence, law, and AI and business. So my question to you, Rock, is what do you think the deployment of AI in the metaverse could mean for content creators? And are there any new challenges that people should be aware of? Thanks for the question, Rob. And, and first of all, thank you for putting together this amazing panel. Um, I think this area is going to keep lawyers very, very busy uh, the interplay between the metaverse and AI. Um, and actually, what I was going to touch upon is, is, is probably builds on Francesca's teaser about the importance of IP. Um, because I think with the development of AI, putting it very broadly, I'm using it as a keyword now rather than than in the kind of you know general AI, uh, rather than in the sense of AI that is going to take over the world. I'm speaking about you know AI AI like tools. So I think there will be obviously an increasing number of AI like tools, engines, different types of agents that will enable us to create more and more uh, digital content. Um, and these tools will naturally accelerate the development of the metaverse. And, you know, make the whole experience that we have in the virtual world um, basically more engaging. But I think um, the, the metaverse, unlike uh, the real world, um, will be entirely manufactured. So, you know, everything from your avatar uh, to the jeans, the glasses that you'll be wearing in the metaverse, you know, the bike that you'll be riding, all of that will or, or will potentially be somebody else's um, intellectual property. Um, so even things that uh, are not necessarily protected in the real world, so think, for example, about, you know, a, a bird sitting on the edge of your balcony and singing a, a song, um, you know, that song will not be protected. But in the real, in the, in the, in the metaverse or in the digital world, that song, um, even a bird song, will be essentially a piece of code. Um, so some of those elements um, will be manufactured by, creators of the metaverse themselves, uh, big companies that will build these environments for us. Some of these things will be created using AI-like tools. Um, some of these might be created outside of the metaverse or, or in a kind of a connected environment, and may, it may, may or may not be possible to port them into that particular metaverse environment that you will want to be using. So you'll have a scenario, essentially, um, where intellectual property is everywhere, pot everywhere potentially. Um, and I think this will get quite complicated, it, at least it has the potential to, because, you know, the question of who owns what, what are your license rights, if you might have generated something on a, on a connected platform, moved it across, um, you know, if you've generated something using a tool that you've been provided within a particular platform, what actually do you own, what is actually protectable, um, it, I think it will get quite convoluted. I think it will get very exciting for lawyers, but I think it will. It has the potential uh, to keep Francesca and me very, very busy for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, excellent insights, Rock. Uh, Francesca, did you want to chime in on any of uh, Rock's uh, points there before we jump to Bez? Yeah, I have been diving deep into AI because um, I do think that that's the that is the next step that we're going to see with NFTs and the metaverse is how AI is going to be incorporated in them. I truly believe that. Um, I watched a video the other day that kind of blew my mind on some of the interesting AI integrations that are going to be with, with the, with blockchain technology. Like for example, um, when you think about the, the, the people in the metaverse, right? Like right now it's a lot of user generated content. So people either being behind the avatars that you're seeing in these spaces. So if you do enter Decentral, Decentraland and the Sandbox, if you see people 
you may think that they are other people behind their Oculus or their, you know, their, their VR headsets, or it's they're they are, um, they could be made by the, the, the platform, but we're going to probably see some really cool stuff with AI where the avatars are going to be AI based avatars. So you're interacting with an actual robot behind VR. And I know that that's like very futuristic and it kind of blew my mind. And here we are just talking about what the metaverse is and real estate in, in general, but um, it's really going to be interesting to see how AI is, is going to play a role and um, what that and how that's going to help develop the metaverse. So I'm excited to learn more from um, this panel about anything related to AI as well. This is awesome. This just blows my mind time and time after again. This is why, you know, kudos to you being in the room today because, you know, we're all here to mastermind, share ideas, learn from each other. And every time I host these spaces, I get so much value. I also just want to say a quick hi to Ying Tang and the audience because he and I, along with another team of entrepreneurs and leaders tomorrow, are going to be hosting another LinkedIn audio event where we're going to be talking about startups, scale-ups, and sell-ups. So definitely check out my profile for the link for that pro um, that's happening tomorrow. But he is one of the top entrepreneurs top voices and someone I'd highly recommend in the audience. And that's what I always say, use this opportunity to network. You're in a room, you're in an event right now. So look at people's bios. Who do you know? Who could potentially reach out to? Start conversations, carry on conversations, collaborate. And with that, I would love to welcome to the stage, Bez, thank you so much for joining us. Please feel free to give us a short intro and then fire away of your question for the panel. Um, hey, Robert, thank you for having this space um, and, um, and this great panel. Uh, Francesca and Mitch, great folks, uh, been following them. Um, I, I'm a, a pro in the talent acquisition, headhunting, HR recruitment space since the early 90s. So uh, had, you know, all sorts of interesting careers. Um, so my question is uh, either to Francesca or Mitch, <clears throat> um, you know, I've been through Web 1, Web 2, I've seen Second Life, and in the early days of computing, interoperability was the word. And with um, so many virtual worlds out there, you know, which one do we pick? And, uh, or, or is that actually something to consider? And uh, what is virtual real estate classified as and what laws apply to it today? Do you want me to start, Mitch? Sure, go ahead. Um, okay, so there was a there was a lot packed into that. Um, I'll I'll take the I'll take the last question, which was really like what laws apply. And I think this this question I keep hearing it's either people saying you know what laws are applying or um, do the laws apply? And I think the answer is. Yes, the laws apply. And I am taking the position that the same laws are applying just as they were being extended, you know, from we when we had the physical world into e-com, into online businesses, into social media, you have the same intellectual property laws. You have the same business and corporate and securities issues, but how they are going to apply and how courts are going to interpret some things, that is still kind of unknown. You know, we're seeing cases begin to happen over use, usages of trademarks and copyrights and also security issues when it comes to these new landscapes but really at essence the same tools are going to apply um and mitch do you want to take it from there i do as soon as i unmute it's good to see you and i think we have somebody ruffling some papers in the background so you want to mute your mics if you're not speaking um you know what's interesting is what to follow up on what francesca just said when you look at real estate that's being purchased right now in the real world uh, using NFT technology, there's a house in Florida that sold for over $640,000 uh, in Florida. They used NFTs to help secure um, uh, the transaction. When you look at what we're doing online, I think uh, Bez, and you've seen me write about this before, certain real estate 
transactions that apply in real life will probably be legislated and uh, transferred over to what's going on in the digital world. And I'm talking about tax law. I'm talking about transactional law, capital gains, short and long term. All of these things, I believe, uh, we're going to have to pay attention to when moving forward in the digital spaces. How do you secure ownership in a, in, a, in a digital world? Are we using NFTs? Are we using smart contracts? Is it something uh, a little bit more than a hash on the blockchain? And so I think as we're spending more and more money building out our digital land purchases or leases or we're renting or we're a landlord, you know, leasing out office space, we need to pay attention to what's going on in the real world, as Francesca just pointed out, so that we can protect our interests in the digital spaces to specifically answer your question as to, you know, what pieces of, uh, of digital real estate are available on what metaverses. I mean, the central land uh, is, is a popular place where we're seeing a lot of transaction in District X, Genesis City, Nanotoken. Over on Sandbox, you know, there's a lot of play when it comes to some of the big companies. I think, you know, I'm a big fan of spatial.io and engagevr.io in that they allow you to build out your digital shops, your office buildings, your law firms, your uh, virtual conference rooms with just a couple of clicks. And for just a couple of dollars, you can literally build out a beautiful facility to meet with clients, to sell your products and services, to stand on stage in front of 500 uh, virtual avatars and do a wonderful presentation combining and bringing into your digital real estate live video, live audio, uh, your slide deck presentations to really knock the digital socks off of everybody listening, both live and recorded. So those are the platforms that we're paying attention to right now. I will say from a professional point of view, what we're looking at are platforms that allow us to come across uh, in a professional fashion, uh, high quality graphics, high quality avatars, platforms that allow us to put our faces on avatar bodies using our webcams or cameras, spatial.io and uh, engagevr.io. I have no financial interest in either company, but we're using both of those spaces for our law firms. Uh, firms building out into central land and uh, sandbox and a couple of other metaverses. Frankly, those aren't for me. I, I don't want to meet my high paying clients in environments that look like cartoons or kids are running around or, you know, an, an avatar looks like a, a Lego. I, that's just not the way I roll. So you want to really pay attention before investing money. Number one, in what do you want your brand? How do you want it to reflect on your brand? Number two, from an investment standpoint, as uh, Rock mentioned earlier, and by the way, Rock, I wish that was my first name as a trial lawyer for 35 years in Southern California. I would love it if the judge introduced me to the jury. This is Rock Jackson, because I've already kicked their ass. That's just a great name. And, hey, Mitch, uh, just to jump in very quickly, Rock's going to have to tell you offline his tagline. It's brutal. Brilliant. So remember, right. after this, the catch is tagged. I, I will follow up on what you said, and I'll make sure I connect with him uh, after the show. But uh, if you're investing in real estate for investment purposes, you know you want to pay attention to whether or not you're able to take that property. Is it an NFT? Number one, a lot of real, a lot of digital real estate is actually an NFT, a non fungible token that you can purchase outside of the metaverse platform and bring in, whether it's a car, a boat, an office building, whatever it might be. What we're going to be seeing, and I think when we're really going to see value in everything that we're talking about, is when you can take that digital piece of property from Metaverse A and uh, integrate it or transfer it over to Metaverse B, C, and D. The challenge with buying expensive property, digital property here in Southern California at Malibu or downtown LA across from Inglewood where the Super Bowl was, is that guess what? Maybe that metaverse isn't going to be popular in a year. Maybe something shinier and more popular and, and exciting is going to come along in a couple of years. Can you transfer that digital property over to metaverse B and C? And I think once integrations improved, probably will be happening through digital wallet technology. I think what we're going to see is the interest in digital real estate increase. I think the values will rise. It'll become more valuable because right now any metaverse can lay the uh, geographic coordinates over a piece of real land and sell it to you. But, you know, you're not the only one buying that piece of property if B and C and D come along and they sell the same coordinates. So you want to be careful about that. 
But having said that, um, you know, pay attention to what is your branding and marketing and investment. Uh, what are your goals? And then pick that piece of digital land with all of those things in mind. And I think you'll be setting yourself up for long-term success. I just want to add to that, uh, Mitch, it was a great overview on, on in terms of how to pick. And for people who have never actually entered into some of these platforms or entered into, quote unquote, the metaverse, metaverse the cost of entry right now is low. Um, yes, you do need to make an initial investment to buy some of the hardware uh, to actually do the immersive VR. But a lot of the platforms that Mitch mentioned allow you to access it from your mobile phone or desktop. So my suggestion for everyone is actually to play around with these. It is either free or it's a minimal cost to access them. I think most of them are free or you could message someone like Mitch. I know Mitch does. Uh, he meets with clients. He meets with potential prospective connections and clients and actually takes them through. And, you know, Mitch, when I did this with you, my brain, it was the first time I put on my Oculus headset and it was like, I don't know, tasting ice cream for the first time. If I could ever remember it as a child, I'm sure my brain exploded. I see my kids face explode every time the first time I give them ice cream, <laughs> but it's literally like that. It's just, Oh my gosh, you, Seeing video, not just being on Zoom and only seeing someone um, neck, you know, torso up, being able to actually be in an immersive environment. I really encourage everyone, if you're able to make the investment in an Oculus, to do it. It is super cool from an enter entertainment perspective. You can watch Netflix in it. I do that. I watch some Netflix shows in VR. It's very cool. But also from a business perspective, play around with them. Um, it would be silly to, uh, from my perspective, it would be silly to buy land knowing that you're not just going to buy it as an investment itself, but it would be silly to buy it without actually checking the platform out and wanting to use it for business purposes. Because like Mitch said, a lot of them are related to gaming. So when because that that's kind of how uh, VR started and really with gaming, but now it's it's branching out. So a lot of them aren't like <laughs> that professional and more um, blocky. But it's also interesting to see what players are in the meta in the particular metaverse that you're buying into. Um, and I do want to clarify that the way that we use metaverse, quote unquote, the metaverse is still technically being built. The concept behind it is that there will one day be a, a interconnected virtual reality where all of these platforms will somehow link to each other. Um, but right now, the way that it's being built is people are building their own meta metaverses. So right now, they are still separate for the most part. But as Mitch said, one day, hopefully, they will integrate that that's what technically the metaverse quote unquote refers to so um my suggestion is get in there see which software um platforms met quote unquote which metaverse you think would be great for your business and see how other businesses are actually using it i know mcdonald's is um is is, is going to make a play in the metaverse and it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to offer up virtual food and virtual restaurants. But I think right now the purpose is to have a space where you draw customers or potential customers to, and it's going to be each business's it's going to be up to each business's creativity on how they're going to offer goods and services in the metaverse. Hey, Frank, Jessica, you mentioned you were watching Netflix uh, from the metaverse. You know, you're in your Oculus lounge. That's your space. That's that's your real estate that you can kick back and design. And within the next six months, we'll be able to invite friends into our Oculus spaces that you're describing and watch Netflix together. Talk to us a little bit about purchasing NFT real estate on, on the third-party platforms, which we can do, and then transferring them into these digital micro metaverses, what do we need to look out for from a safety standpoint? In other words, rug pulls in the NFT spaces, 
um, you know, irreputable or, or people without uh, the right intentions uh, purportedly creating these uh, NFT real estate items that for sale, we buy them and then we find out it's not what we thought. We're in a decentralized uh, type of environment. So it's kind of hard to find the wrongdoers and hold them accountable. Just, you know, in 60 seconds or less, because I don't want to take up too much of Rob's time. You know, what are some safety things we need to pay attention to when doing the above? I think when, think of the internet when it first started, anyone could throw up a page with a shopping cart once the technology developed, you know, when we got to that, anyone could create a website with a shopping cart to, to get money. It's the same thing that we're seeing now with this technology. NFTs, blockchain, the metaverse is not a scam. However, new technologies like this do give leeway to scammers. And I think that's a really important distinction for anyone who's writing off everything as, oh, it's all a scam. The technology itself is not a scam. However, whenever there are newer technologies like this, uh, it definitely breeds, uh, it bring, attracts scam artists, which with this technology, it is incredible. The, the level of, of, of scams that we're seeing, it's, I think it's unprecedented and just they, they're really, really good at it. So you have to be more heightened than ever. If you are not, if you haven't already bought an NFT or if you're totally new to this space, I do suggest watching a YouTube video on how to play safe in the NFT and metaverse spaces um, because there, you could click on one link that's the wrong link that automatically will hook up to your wallet and will completely wipe out all of the purchases that you've made. This is a major problem. We saw this with even one of the most reputable platforms, OpenSea, this weekend. So my advice to everyone is to actually, I, I can put one up. I'll find one later and I'll put it on LinkedIn. But they're, they're, to watch a video on how to not be scammed because the scam artist, it's like phishing, phishing 5.0 is very, very, very advanced. But once you are aware and know how to protect yourself and not make wrong clicks, I would say you have to be aware of who the players are because anyone can put something up. So really there are bigger players like Mitch said, Decentraland, Sandbox, Spatial IO, um, OpenSea, Coinbase. These are uh, more trustworthy businesses than others because of the, the notoriety they're getting. And it looks like a lot of people are also putting their trust in them. And it's similar to how Facebook, Google, Microsoft, these companies over the year, they've developed as people which <laughs> should be trusted, quote unquote. I know there's been issues with a lot of them over data and privacy, but for the most part, we're still using these platforms, right? For the most part, people are still using Facebook and Instagram, even if they have problems with them. But I will say, uh, be educated. And if you are exploring, maybe start with the more trusted ones, because if you do click on something that you're, you're not sure of, if it's, uh, if it's the right link, or if it's an un, if, if it's one of the names that you've never heard of before, be very, very, very careful clicking, because you could end up losing all of your digital assets. No, fascinating exchange, and thank you so much as as always, Francesca and, and Mitch for your for your insights. And uh, Bez, what a great question and thought provoking. So really appreciate you. Just want to say a quick hi as well to Jessica in the audience. She's also one of the beta testers, producing lots of high quality content. So definitely check out her as well and network in the room. And let's get cracking with some more questions. So I'd just like to welcome up onto stage Natalie. We had a wonderful conversation early this morning. So Natalie, feel free to introduce yourself and far away the question for the panel. Hi guys, thank you so much, Rob. Um, yeah, my name's Natalie. We've got a virtual law firm. I own a virtual law firm in the UK. Um, we essentially deal with uh, all areas of law, but um, particularly uh, my area is commercial conveyancing, which 
is sitting really quite next to uh, real estate, metaverse, transfers. This is where my passion is at the moment. This is where I'm spending an awful lot of my time researching uh, and looking into ways in which we can facilitate um, the transfer of, for example, titles to property, et cetera, in the future. Um, I guess really, I'm really interested to hear what uh, Francesca had to say. Um, and obviously, the law is, is different in the US and it, it appears to be a lot more further forward than the UK. Um, in November, uh, the UK, the Law Society stated um, that contract law, English contract law, applied to smart legal contracts um, and therefore it, it kind of got everybody's ears twitching and thinking about okay well what would it look like then if we had disputes where is the risk um, and then furthermore there was a, a more recent release that stated that uh, if there were disputes relating to uh, any transactions or otherwise uh, that, that came from a smart legal contract how would that be disputed? Who would be the expert witness there? Uh, who would, would the court hear from? Um, and then it was, uh, which I thought was incredible, really, that the, the Law Society embraced the fact that they would look at the reasonable CODA opinion as opposed to, you know, ordinarily a reasonable doctor or a reasonable driver in any other case. Um, and then it went one stage further and now lawyers are saying that they are training to be legal engineers uh, and they will be deemed at a certain point to be a reasonable coder and therefore will be able to interpret code in court. So all of this is, you know, running through my head, lots of exciting opportunities. And I just think that legal industry in particular, a, a, an online digital firm has an opportunity to really facilitate um, the sorts of clients that will be um, trading in NFTs. I just wondered where the US was in terms of that sort of question and, and you know, contract law, the interpretation of uh, what experience do you have with that, Francesca, if any? Yeah, it's a great it's a great point, Natalie. I'm fascinated by smart contracts. We've been talking about smart contracts since uh, for a long time. Um, I remember in 2017, my ears perked up because I wanted to learn everything about it. But the technology, from my perspective, you know, being an associate at a big law firm, um, I, I was like, I want to see the blockchain. I want to see the smart <laughs> contract. And I remember being like, well, why can't I just see it and access it? And the cool thing about being in 2022 now is that the, the technology has developed where they have made interfaces that are way more user-friendly, right? So maybe yes. NFTs were around for a while, for several years, but we're just really starting to use them because now marketplaces like OpenSea have come up and it, that make it very, uh, not very easy, but easier for people to learn how to use them and actually access them. So the, I want to I wanna differentiate a smart contract versus a what I'll call smart legal contract. So smart contracts are it's basically code, right? They're um, a lot of the times they're if then type clause provisions. So if something happens, then automatically another thing will happen. If X, then Y. And the, the basic way I can explain this is that if you buy an NFT, then the NFT will be transferred to you. Then you could set up the smart contract to start adding additional things. If so-and-so sells their NFT, a royalty will be sent to the original holder. That's a very um, common one that we see that makes NFTs really cool, but you'd have to program that in your smart contract. So from a legal perspective, these smart contracts can rise to the level of being legally enforceable contracts, but they need to meet the requirements of having an offer, acceptance and consideration. So what I said earlier, it still applies here. The same contract rules apply. And so when you apply them, 
that's how you're going to tell if they are enforceable. Now, the best practice to do is you link a smart contract with an actual um, illegal contract. Because for the most part, the smart contracts are just the code and maybe some if-then clauses, like we said. But what about the arbitration provisions? What about termination? What about jurisdiction? All of those basic legal provisions and clauses um, aren't getting captured for the most part in a smart contract because they're it's code. There, there's probably a way to put that a way to put them in there for, for the most part. Uh, they're not. So the way that the best practice is to have a formal written contract that has all of the legal provisions that both parties sign that then you can link to a smart contract. So let's say that you agreed to a 20% royalty every time there's a sale. That'll be in the, the, the legal contract that both parties can sign. And then you have an engineer or a coder make sure that the actual smart contract, which is going to execute the work, will have an if-then type clause that links it to the, the contract. That's basically, I've done a ton of research on this, and I would love to hear anyone else's opinion if there are lawyers in the room. Um, that is how I'm hearing the best practice for now, but it'll be interesting to see the evolution. Maybe those terms, like you said, maybe we're going to have more legal engineers that are going to somehow figure out an easy, effective way to actually integrate the legal terms in the smart contract. Do you have any other questions, Natalie? Um, no, not for now. I could go on and on, but I'm not going to hog the stage. Thanks for that. That's great. Hey, Mitch, did you want to, to chime in, buddy? Yeah, quickly. Uh, first of all, great question, Natalie. Uh, outstanding response, Francesca. You know, layering digital, new digital approaches and techniques, NFT technology, smart contracts with traditional offline legal sound approaches that can be litigated and argued in, and uh, held up in courts of law across the country and across the world is absolutely the way to go. I mean, to me, it's not, it's, it, as Francesca mentioned, that's the way to do this. And I think what you want to take a look at is I know in Florida, there was a 2,164 square foot home that was sold in Gulfport, Florida, for about 210 ETH at the time, it was about $653,000 at an auction. And the winning bidder was awarded a non-fungible token, an NFT, as proof of the home's ownership. Decentraland, uh, a couple of weeks ago, sold about $2.43 million worth of the platform's cryptocurrency. It's called Manas, M-A-N-A. -A. It's about 618 Manas. Um, which, you know, priced even higher than the average real world Manhattan apartment with respect to land, digital land transactions. Aren't Fox, which is a large law firm, commonly known as a big law uh, firm, uh, just announced that they're building out a presence in the virtual world and they're going to be spending a lot of money to do that. Uh, my suggestion would be to go behind the transactions of each one of those um, items. In other words, on the Florida project, take a look at all of the traditional offline paperwork coupled with, uh, which is probably uh, registered with public agencies, traditional escrow agents, things like this, along with uh, what's listed on the blockchain to see exactly what went down. Same thing with Decentraland and with the big law firm and see how they did things. Because I have a sneaky suspicion that with those three transactions, at least with the Decentraland and Fox transactions, a lot of brilliant minds went, are, are behind what's going on. You know, combining the traditional offline contract law, mm -hmm. real estate purchase approaches with all of the different issues that we're experiencing on the digital platforms. And I think the best practices, as Francesca mentioned, and I think probably what was followed in those three examples, are doing all of the above and, uh, and having them work together also through the lens of, of litigation and trial work. And what I mean by that is whatever happens in these digital spaces, I want to be able to have a tangible piece of evidence that I can put in front of a judge or a jury so that they can help me 
hold wrongdoers accountable or help me help a client hold enforceable a smart or digital contract. And so it's an interesting set. It's, it's a zoo of animals that you have to bring together where, yes, I'd love to be able to just click and do a couple of things online behind the scenes in a cloud-based, you know, decentralized type of environment and close the deal. But what if in six months, somebody changes their mind on the sale of that digital property, or it turns out to be just a piece of swampland, you know, in digital Florida, which is a, a slang we have here in the States. How do you hold people responsible? How can you confirm to a new buyer that what you're selling that new buyer six months or a year from now actually is what what's, it's purported to be? By having these offline tools that people are used to, that judges and juries are used to seeing to help support whatever that transaction was online, I think it's really important. Also, for those of us purchasing online property, think about how can you incorporate what you just did, what you just purchased, what you just leased, what you're renting out to 20 tenants. How can you incorporate that into your estate planning documentation? What if something, God forbid, happens to you? What if you become incapacitated, right? So how can you reference all of these items, including ownership in your estate planning documents or in your business succession documentation? If something goes wrong, if Rob and Francesca and Caleb and I and Bez are all partners in a, in a company and something happens to me, they may not want to be partners with anybody in my family. They may not want to be partners with my heirs. And so I think smart business owners are planning ahead and working out in traditional offline documentation, what that business succession plan is, who's going to step in. Are they all going to buy my interest or does my family have the right to sell that interest to a third party? I think those same principles apply online and using artificial intelligence down the road, using smart contracts. I think this is all going to be built into the blockchain. So when these contingencies happen, as Francesca mentioned, those ifs, those ands, if this, then this, automatically our rights and our desires and our best business interests will be taken care of. So there's so many unique legal issues that are part of everything we're talking about. I don't think I've ever been more excited to be a lawyer. I've never been more excited to help clients. And I can't wait. I can't wait to try a case using virtual reality Back in the day, it was Google Google Glass, and I had a chance to try a couple of cases, but we settled them. I can't wait to put on a virtual trial in the right situation, on the right case, right? Using the right virtual courtrooms and jurors from all over the world. I just can't wait to do it. I hope I have a chance to do it in my lifetime, and I hope I can do it when my toes are in the sand down at Strands Beach just after coming in off the water when it happens. So it should be fun. And there's just a lot of, a lot of interesting legal issues for sure. Hey, Robert, can I ask a follow-up question to what something Mitch just said? Absolutely. And I just want to acknowledge Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us on stage. Thank you for being so patient. Bez, far away. And then Jessica, we're coming to you next. Real quick, Mitch, um, uh, and, um, there's a is apparent people are making large purchases in virtual worlds and buying plots of land. Um, I'm hearing a lot of pitches saying there's a finite number, but do these virtual worlds metaverses act, do their terms and conditions actually support this? Or am I buying a piece of land that they're saying there's only so many, but uh, two years from now, they're going to double it. And now they've de devalued my property. What are your thoughts? Right, right. I, I like the way you think, Bess. That's, those are my thoughts. I think the terms of service agreements that uh, bind all of us to what platforms can and can't do are going to apply. And I believe, although I haven't checked the TOS agreements of all the platforms that we're talking about, I'm sure they have the unilateral discretion to modify what they want to do, when they want to do it, and how they want to do it in their platforms, subject to some type of 30-day or 60-day notice to all of the platform users to frankly do whatever they want. So yes, you need to do your due diligence. You need to check out the TOS agreements or any other third-party contracts that are out there uh, so that you know what you're getting yourself into. And Bez, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, as Francesca and I have talked about on shows in the past, and Rob also, 
Uh, oftentimes, people don't spend time reading the TOS or terms of service agreements that uh, will normally dictate what can be done on these platforms. So great question. I'm going to add just as a, um, I am an, I am an investor. I'm an NFT collector and an investor. And one of our first purchases was a, um, a, a plot in the sandbox, like very early, which still wasn't cheap, <laughs> but it definitely increased in value over time. And we, my husband and I, when I say we, we made a decision actually to sell it um, this month. Uh, and when we were looking at our portfolio, part of it was that question, like, what is the scarcity when it comes to it? Because there is a certain level of scarcity when you are dealing with, um, NFTs that are collectibles or one of ones and, um, you know, for some of these, the, the artwork, but what about virtual real estate? Like what isn't, what is stopping, sandbox from just continuing to create more and more land, which, you know, are, will definitely affect the value. It's just supply and demand. Right. So we actually made a decision to, to sell it. And I'm just telling you all, I'm sharing that with you um, because it's a real life, practical business consumer type thing that you're going to think about. And then as a business owner, you know, is it, is it going to be worth it? And when it comes down to the terms and use, like, like Mitch said, they could just simply send you an email that says, Hey, we're updating them. If you have a problem with it, sell your land and leave our platform, which what happens if you go to try to sell and it, it affects the value or you can't sell it and you're stuck with something. Uh, a lot of this comes down to just un unknowns and maybe, maybe it was wrong. Maybe it was a bad financial decision for me to sell, but um, it was definitely one factor that I, that I considered was, was the scarcity and whether or not they could just add more land. So, Hey guys, it's Jess, um, Mitch, Francesca, the, the person who asked the question, you bring up great points. And one of the, one of the things that, I was going to speak about was the tokenomics of real estate. The fact that you could just build an island near where Paris Hilton built an island. Um, the fact that Snoop can sell his um, real estate NFT at the push of a button and it'll vanish. Like his little icon or any footprint that he was there is going to be gone. You don't, the, the, the nostalgia that people have when they buy a piece of real estate that was once owned by a famous person, so-and-so slept here, so-and-so walked here, you know, they did this over here. All of that is kind of gone in, in the metaverse. It's just more of a transactional uh, thing. You could buy a house next to Snoop's and he can up and leave. And all of a sudden, like you said, Francesca, the value of your NFT or your property has gone down significantly and you probably won't be able to recover those dollars. Um, and then even, even if you are living in a community, we'll call it in the virtual world with your NFT real estate, um, your neighbor can maybe put up a giant statue <laughs> that takes away the value of what you're hoping to bring to that neighborhood. I'm going to pretend like we are in a virtual world. Um, and enforcing things in communities kind of usually happens with the rules of the community. And then there's someone who has the extra time or power or authority to enforce, enforce the rules of the community and keep everything looking how it's supposed to look. Um, I, I'm not sure that you actually get that. And I think the time is now for these rules to sort of be forming. Um, and it's, it's really hot to buy real estate in the metaverse, but you can own a piece of real estate in one metaverse, but not in the other. Um, like you mentioned, the scarcity is not fully there because these things can be created by the creators. Uh, I want to say just at will, because once you do agree to terms and services, you're kind of in, you know, you're in it. You can't really object because yes, your only option is really probably to sell. And then the other thing that, um, that I was thinking about are the differences between uh, metaverse real estate and 
IRL or in real life real estate, there are certain tax benefits that one gets when they're making real estate transactions. If they're buying and selling in that same city and doing it for the same purposes, you know, there's a tax benefit that carries forward. Um, you know, what happens to the revenue, the, the profit uh, when it comes to that? Is it is it just the same as a regular NFT investment or or is it in fact classified as real estate as real estate would be in the real the real world so i think i think everything is kind of written in pencil right now and the the clay is still wet it's definitely not dry um, so i think these conversations are really just good to have so we can make sure everyone's not hopping on the real estate bandwagon right away um, because it is a moving vehicle <laughs> And, um, you know, thinking about all the things that could go right and could go wrong uh, in that in that transaction, because we all do want to be a part of it. I think we should get that registry where people buy stars <laughs> and their names are already like up there as the owner of that little celestial being and just kind of mint that as an NFT. Hey, so, Jess. Yeah. Hey, Jess, first of all, everyone, I was on Jess's uh, podcast and uh, she's she's a she's a I'm going to call you a thought leader. I like the way you think about all of these issues. So that was a lot of fun. So everybody follow Jess and follow her podcast and and check out our episode. You said something that just jumped out at me, and that is, look, also when we're dealing with digital NFT items, whether it's uh, uh, a piece of art, whether it's a photograph, whether it's a piece of digital land, you also need to look at whether or not it's a security. Um, a lot of NFT, NFTs out there uh, really don't pass the sniff test when it comes down to the Howey uh, case, which is a U.S. Supreme Court case. And if, in fact, this NFT transaction is a security, then that raises additional challenges and issues. As Francesca mentioned earlier, let me just come clean about where I am with respect to digital real estate. You know, Jess mentioned the term purchase, and I know we've been talking about buying land, but I think this is the time to actually dip your toe in the digital land sandbox in a way where you're testing out the product. For example, I purposefully spent quality time looking at the major platforms and decided based on objective factors, this is not the time for me to quote unquote invest in buying digital land. Having said that, it's so easy to click and create for free an office space, a conference room, a uh, uh, spend a little bit of money and create a local bar or restaurant or whatever it might be, a bike shop is something we're working on right now with one of our clients, you know, traditional mountain bike shop that's going to be in the virtual spaces. It's so easy to do that without having to buy. All you need to do is click, take an existing template, and spend a little bit of time either with a graphic artist or, or with your clients and design everything uh, for just a few dollars a month. And I think you can kind of figure out, is this for you? Am I in the right space? Is this the right metaverse for me? Do I like the community that I'm building out this office space in? You can do this without the offline, in real life, traditional expensive real estate uh, by, by actually just testing and playing around with these different platforms. I think this is a time to test and play around with digital real estate. Uh, I think most of the big numbers we're seeing are uh, outlier numbers. That's not the norm. And just like anything else in life, to get into something and expect you know, to be that, that outlier transaction, that's more of a dream than a plan. And right now, what I'm planning on doing is continue to build out the brand while at the same time, really getting a feel for what the platforms offer. And there's one more thing, Rob, that maybe just from your perspective, you know, on your side of the pond, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. But one thing I'm noticing is how quickly things are changing. For example, when I'm in one metaverse uh, and I come back a week or a month later, oftentimes there are a lot of changes. Some I like, many I don't like. And so if I'm investing in that metaverse and it changes in a direction that I'm not comfortable with, you know, am I, am I stuck with it because I spent a lot of money with a piece of digital property or am I free to click and bounce over to a more, let's just say friendly type of environment. I want my clients to be participating in without having to be out of pocket. Rob, have you noticed how, how the fluctuation of all the different options and how quickly it's happening? 
Yeah, I have, Mitch, and it's super interesting because Caleb and I are always playing around in various metaverse, and I, I forget which one it was the other week, Caleb, where we, we'd been on it for, I think, the two weeks before, and then we went the next week and it changed drastically. So, uh, yeah, I can definitely vouch for that, and it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that evolves because, like you say, people are approaching this from an investment perspective, and, you know, always like our investments to go up or the way that we're thinking or knowing and, you know, not being in control of those goalposts um, definitely brings up uh, a lot of questions. And, look, time for flies when you're having fun folks we have gone over the hour already so i would just like to say thank you so much to everyone we most definitely are going to be doing a follow-up discussion with today's room because we still whilst we got through so much today there's still so much more for us to be discussing so i would just like to say thank you ever so much to everybody in the audience if you have enjoyed today's discussion please take a screenshot tag the speakers maybe share some of your takeaways from today's discussion keep in mind linkedin has over 800 million users we've had the product owners and developers come into our room today they are serious about getting this out to the whole place on the platform so share those takeaways because we're still in beta form thank you ever so much to everyone in the audience we do not take it for granted we appreciate you being here your support and thank you ever so much to the wonderful speakers thank you ever so much to my co-founder caleb of virtual insanity my dear friend mitch jackson it's just been phenomenal we've been dropping bombs throughout this discussion francesca as always please make sure you give her a follow she is a superstar when it comes to all things ip and also give a follow to my dear friend rock it's his first time on linkedin audio events definitely a rising star over here in the uk and a top lawyer and someone who's very well networked and an expert in all things ai who i'd love to bring back to more of our discussions bears appreciate you being here jess great to connect anything mitch is on or does i'm keen to see so i'm gonna be checking out that podcast after this and uh, yeah thanks ever so much everyone once again if you have any ideas or content suggestions please do let us know it's been an absolute ball loved every minute of it did any of my speakers want to say anything before we we, we wrap up I want to leave everyone with you're here for a reason you are interested if you have not already spent 20 to 50 hours diving deep go to youtube university just google i'm sorry search and, and youtube nfts metaverse start watching observing uh, absorbing and observing and learning because that is going to give you the power to really figure out how to integrate some of these tools into your business and to get ahead. Thanks again, Rob, for hosting this. My absolute pleasure. And that's a great shout, um, Francesco. I'd encourage everyone to do that. And if you do like my content and stages that I do create, I'm going to be back here tomorrow with a new lineup, an amazing lineup of entrepreneurs and leaders. My dear friend, Yin Tang, who's in the audience, top entrepreneur, someone you definitely need to be checking out. He, along with a number of others, are going to be talking about startups, scale-ups, and sell-ups. So definitely make sure you check that out. That's 8 p.m. UK real, time real quick. tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Francesca, for what you just said. I, I just want to give a quick plug while you guys are going through your YouTube journey if you find yourself confused after uh, sifting through a lot of hours of content or even if you watch something and you're like I still don't get it what the heck uh, please feel free to uh, send Rob a message and we will make a video on that I, I promise you that's that's the point of virtual insanity is hey let's cut this down let's not spend three weeks learning about this let's learn it in five minutes that's the mission of virtual insanity so please um message rob with your questions um and we will <laughs> that's what we're gonna do yeah really well said caleb because that that is the the point you know it's it's great that you know we have access to all this information but we also appreciate it can be overwhelming so it's important that we do our best to to streamline things as much as possible but thank you so much once again everybody i've absolutely loved it i've learned a ton as always have a lovely rest of your evenings for those of you in the uk afternoons and mornings wherever you are in the world thank you so so much and hopefully we'll be back here again next week take care everybody Bye bye